We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by zonecoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Today we are joined in studio by Britt Robson of The Athletic. And our plan is, our plan that is not a plan, is to just kind of broadly talk about this this whole offseason. And I think it's, you know, it's easy to start back in, in June with the draft, moving into the somewhat pursuit of free agents that came up with nothing and into what actually actually transpired. And Britt, I think it's good timing with you having your, your column that came out yesterday just kind of reacts to, okay, this is what's actually here on right. the roster. And you were saying all these things. Now, how does what is actually here on the roster fit into all that? And it's not a, it's not a perfect fit. And, but I think it brings up interesting questions about, you know, how is this team going to play versus what you've been saying and, are you just going to kind of push through and enforce a square peg into a circular hole or is, is it going to kind of um, morph into it all together? So I guess just generally, well, first of all, how are you doing? Good. Thanks. <laughs> I actually think they are going to try to push a square peg into a round hole. Uh, you know, that's one of the dominant themes of my questions to both coach Ryan Saunders and Pobo uh, Gerson Rosas uh, about, you know, you don't have the personnel to play some of the ways you want to play. When that happens, um, do you want to stick with this to develop your identity or do you want to win games? Um, I don't say want to win games because that means they obviously have to say, well, you want to win games, right. of course. But between, So what is that style? What is that style, I guess, first? In your, okay, in well, your I mean, 
the best way to get into that style is to point out the ways that they don't fit right now because that's what they're going to have to come up with. Um, they want to go small with, with Robert Covington at the power forward rather than the small forward. Um, and he has been a power forward uh, back in uh, a 10-win Philadelphia team <laughs> in 2015. But, you know, he fulfilled the role well. He, he shot... Uh, he averaged nine threes a game and made about 35% of them. Uh, when he was on the floor, their usually terrible defense was slightly less terrible. Um, but the problem um, is Gerson Rosa says we want to play small. We want to play small ball, and we want to switch a lot on defense. And um, uh, if you look at the Western Conference— you know, the, the Lakers, assuming Cousins is healthy, will have Cousins and Davis in the front court. The Pelicans will have Zion Williamson next to Derek Favors, which is just a bruising front mm -hmm. court. Memphis will have you know, Jonas Valanciunas and Jaron Jackson. Um, Robert Covington having to cover any of those six players is going to be brutal. Okay, so I think there, there's two things there. And I, I think what he said in, you know, in fairness to him, or you can you know debate this with me, is I think he, he wants his team to play fast, not necessarily small. Because I don't think they have a small group. Um, I, I think that the point is in which, which Cover, Covington is the small spot right. if, he, if he is going to be at the four, but we'll see how many minutes per game that actually is. But I, I think really the point is to play fast, ideally, is to play fast rather than it is to play small. Because if you look at the guys who are going to play, they're not that wing glut of guys isn't small. I mean, you go Lehman and Wiggins and Covington who will get minutes in that three, but, four area. But that is small against certain opponents. Yes. And I would say in those circumstances, one of the things I was asking him and, and Ryan to some extent tried to make some exceptions and say, yeah, when we play a Memphis, you know, of course, mm -hmm. but what are we talking about there? Are we talking about Gorgie and Cat? Are we talking about uh, Von Ley and, Bell, uh, yeah. you know, Bell or whatever? Um, but that is size. That's what I'm saying. They do have guys who, who could counteract that. And when you start to play that way, mm -hmm. you're not playing small. And But that's my point, as I think that they're, they're playing fast with a bigger group. All right. Well, uh, I happen to think um, that there isn't a fast paced guy among those bigs except for Cat. That and that I mean Vonley I don't think is. I don't I'm not sure about Bell, no, but I think, you know, because Bell obviously didn't dictate anything in Golden State. Uh, you know, he was on to get get on the mm -hmm. ride whatever speed the ride was going. <laughs> True. Um so you know, I, I think that uh, also, uh, one of the things about playing fast is that, you know, you hustle down the floor and, you, you know, you get opportunities mm -hmm. in transition. Um, I don't see Vonley being a great finisher, nor Bell necessarily. Um, I don't see them, you know, being great corner three-point shooters. Uh, Vonley, 70% of his trays were above the break. Um, and when we talked to, you were there when we talked to Pablo Prigioni about transition threes. He wants certain guys taking transition threes. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want Noah Vonley pulling up, I don't think. Um, so again, Covington is perfect for that. Covington loves to pull up for corner threes in transition. And as I wrote yesterday, 
in so many ways, Covington fits exactly what Rosas is talking about at both ends of the court. So it makes sense to me if, in fact, we believe Coving—I mean, we believe Rosas in terms of what he says he wants to do. Then I'm assuming between 34 and 37 minutes for Covington, mm-hmm. the majority of those minutes, if not the vast majority of those minutes, at power forward, and that means. Um, a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. And whether this is right or wrong, I'm just kind of sure. parroting them. We want them, we want teams to react to the size and the it's, style that we're playing with. Exactly. But I do I do think you have a a good point. There are still big teams in the NBA right now, really big front courts. And and you listed some of them, and we can go to the East and I mean Detroit with Drummond and right. I mean there's the teams, there's still big, big teams out there. And I, I think for me you can make it work with Covington at the four. What I'm more concerned about is putting Cat on that Drummond, on that Valanchunas, on that Favors, because what the past few years it was they they had Taj guard that guy, or or when Taj got in foul trouble or tired, or whatever they brought Gorgian. That's right. Because Cat, whether it's I think it's two parts being able to handle that guy, but particularly being able to handle that guy without fouling. If Cat if Cat emulates his foul trouble from last year, so there are of, trouble. There's a lot of problems. Yes, and that's I think. Again, I'm not even putting words in their mouth. I'm putting ideas in their head. Uh, <laughs> I say that what they're trying to do is kind of punt defensively yeah. down low mm-hmm. and try to beat them in transition and from the outside. Now, obviously, one of the problems with that is I don't have any outside shooters aside from bigs, um, really. I mean, if you count Covington as your four and Cat as your five, those are going to be the two best three-point shooters on the floor for this team most of the time. So, okay, th- to the offensive side there, and uh, the, you talk me out of this, but I, I guess what I keep coming back to is I look at how this roster sh- shaped up and we think about modern basketball. We think about playing fast, and we, we, we tend to connect th- those things largely to pace and space and mm-hmm. shooting threes. This team cannot shoot. Two through 15 on the roster, th- called call three f- through 15 on the roster, it's probably the worst shooting team in the NBA. Right up there. Right up there. Or down there. So I, I wonder, what I wonder, or my, my theory in an in a optimal world, is that they're trying to find a different offensive efficiency mm. on, on the offensive end. And I don't know exactly what that is, but I think it includes playing fast in a way that gets players moving downhill. And I, I think, and what, what was the thing Rosa said all the way from the beginning? We need to question the norm. We need to question what's working right now. And I do think it's smart in a way, or at least an interesting experiment to say, is there an offensive style that is even more efficient than shooting a bunch of threes? And you could argue, if you look at their infamous shot chart now at the rim, <laughs> is pretty good. And so they have, following on to this, I mean, you may be on to something there to some extent, is Culver, Wiggins, Okogi, uh, Covington even, and Layman certainly are all cutters. They mm-hmm. all like to cut. And so um, that's why I asked Ryan uh, the last time we were all together last week when they unveiled the, the five Mediocrities uh, <laughs> was uh, that. Um, do you think Cat will be second on this team in dimes? 
at the end of it. And he, he wouldn't go nearly that far. But I think if, if you look at the way that they have to play if they can't shoot threes, you put towns out on the perimeter. Yep. Um, they have to match up, and it's very hard to match up with towns if you have an offense designed around towns being at the elbow or at the arc. The mm -hmm. only coach that really put Cat uh, at the elbow was Sam Mitchell, and it was pretty good. There uh, was at the end of the year, though. Do you remember they started? It was kind. Of, I remember because I wrote something where I was like, "This looks a lot like Nikola Jokic in Denver," mm -hmm. and it was just kind of having them operate at the nail, extended out to the three point arc, and they were they were mostly just spreading it out around him, essentially, you know, five out or Cat right. was kind of the in at the nail. But I, I wonder if if now that like the next step of that is he's still operating up there. Yet rather than just using the space on the three-point arc, trying to swing, swing, find the weak side to hit a three, if you're able, if that efficiency ends up being in the softer mid-range now, which teams are, you know, structuring their defense in a way to care more about the perimeter. If you have a group of good cutters, which I think, I don't know if they're comparatively good to the rest of the league, but it's certainly the strength of this roster. Can you find a way to be moving downhill outside of just a pick and roll? Yes. Can, can you have a multiple cutting attack where you're, you're not operating in the mid-range in the traditional like Kevin Durant sense, but can you operate in the mid-range where you're catching the ball there in on your way to the basket? Because I do think that that has a potential to be an even more potent way with a really good roster of scoring because you're going to be getting to the rim. You're going to be getting to the free throw line. What did Prigioni say that one day? Before he talked about three-point shooting, he said, it's just math. Right. Those are the most efficient shots. So again, when I just go back to looking at this roster, I don't think they're going to do what Brooklyn did where they just say, damn it, we're shooting a million threes. I, I do. I, I think, I think it's a fusion of that. I, I think, I think it's, that's part of it, but I think they're going to say, this is going to be a new style of offense. We're not going to totally go away from cat on the post, but we're going to go to situations that ask cat to read the floor to shoot or distribute. And in that, there is shooting options, there is cutting options, and then him taking it off the break. And if you, again, going back to Jokic, if you look at what the really the value of that is in a basketball sense, is when you have your center with the ball up there, it's, it, the floor is equally split. There isn't a strong side, there isn't a weak side. And then there's value in, if that player is, does have a high IQ to be able to read the floor, that they can find success like Jokic did in saying, what way is the, what way is the defense reading or leaning? Mm -hmm. I'm going to read this and I, I'm going to determine what the strong side is. I'm going to determine what the weak side is. I'm going to determine if I'm going to step back and shoot this three. I'm going to determine if I'm going to the basket. So I think that's the way you make cat the fulcrum of the offense, which I know you agree with is something that is going to happen at the end of the day. That's, that's the goals. We need to make cat the, the fulcrum of the offense and we need to find a way to develop something that is going to be, even if it's not efficient now, because like Brooklyn, they shot a million threes, they weren't good at it initially, but they got to a point, they started laying the groundwork for a foundation. I just think that foundation is going to be different because the Timberwolves have Cat and the Nets had, I mean, who do they even have before Jared? They didn't have a, a big who could, yeah, well, I guess I Brooke Lopez Brooke for the Lopez. year. But where I would differ with you is that... Um, Teams that do this well, including Denver and Renaissance Brooklyn, whatever you want to call it, have good <laughs> three-point shooters. Um, 
it's always much easier to cut when you have Absolutely. the threat. And so um, if Jake Lehman continues to shoot 22%, which he did after the All-Star break from deep, he's not going to cut so so well. Wiggins, for God's sake, I would play off Wiggins all day long. Let him shoot those threes. And that takes away the cutting of the other players. Culver, et cetera. So, I mean, unless you're running backdoor screens, which I think you can do with some of the bigs that they have if you are mm-hmm. going to go that way, or just they obviously want to put in a read and react system. That's what they want to do. Um, I have my doubts about some of the personnel's court IQ in reading and reacting well. Um, but I do think that if they do read and react and they do emphasize corner threes, that where the best cuts are going to be are baseline. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think Towns is actually better at baseline feeds Yep. Uh, if I remember back to the Sam Mitchell days and some of his better performances dime-wise uh, when he's been up top. Um, I Okay, so I, I just think like with Golden State, as obviously the, this team we think of as the best three-point shooting team ever. Right. But what makes them the best offense ever is their ability to operate in the mid-range and operate on the baseline. Well, what makes them so great is that— Clay uh, frees that up. Well, and Draymond is an incredibly yeah. smart passer. I Incredible. mean, he's like Jokic. He is mm-hmm. as good a dime Absolutely. disher as Jokic. And so, uh, and and not for nothing, they have a bench that comes in and, and keeps the lead. Mm-hmm. So that um, I just think it's easier to play when you're perpetually ahead and what you do is surrounded by competence. Mm-hmm. And so... This is where, I mean, what we haven't really addressed right now, you say you think they'll go away from it. I say I think they probably will keep the square peg in the round hole. The variable here is how much failure can they tolerate? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking there's a, there's a decent possibility that they finish 14th or 15th in the West and chalk the season up to identity. Chalk the season up to doing what needs to be done to get ready. That's what Philly did during the process. Um, They had lousy players, but they played a certain way, Mm -hmm. even if the players were not fit for that system. Um, Sacramento to an extent last year. Yeah, although Sacramento, I actually thought um, they changed the system for their talent, I think, pretty well last Mm -hmm. year. I mean, I think Fox and Collie Stein and Heald, really all three really good in-space guys. Um, but at the end of the day, are you going to be willing to lose 116 to 85 a couple of nights in a row and keep playing the way you're playing? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, are you going to start to salt in uh, Vonley next to Towns because you're getting killed by those big lineups? Or are you going to begin to... Uh, and one, one of your uh, ideas is, you know, having Napier and Teague, um, are you going to punt a backup point guard sometimes and just try to do ball handling out there? Um, you know, there are ways you can utilize existing personnel that aren't nearly the identity mm-hmm. that Rosas is talking about. Um, and again, then you get into the dynamic, and I know I'm, you know, I'm kind of floating in different places. But you well, get well, that's in, kind of what it's all about, though. It's you get into the dynamic of um, 
Rosas and Saunders. Mm-hmm. How much does Saunders have his own head and how much does he know, oh, okay, I've got a system here that I need to follow a little bit because my job is protected if we stink, mm-hmm. but I'm adhering to the tenets of the front office unless Trust in the I get betrayed, unless I get betrayed, right. um, then this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, or does he say, you know, look, I got to win some games. And, uh, and that's what he did last year. I mean, that was, and it was the way they played. And it, I mean, I go specifically to Cat. It was the best right. offensive option for them was feeding Cat a million times in the post. And also Cat doing whatever he felt like, mm-hmm. which meant also defense went to hell because Cat <laughs> didn't feel like playing defense sometimes. Um, it's a, it is a, all we can do, what my column tried to do yesterday was say, this is what they say. This is what both Ryan and Mm -hmm. Gerson are saying about how they want to play. This is the 15 guys that are probably going to be on this roster, barring, you know, Rosas is always saying, you know, don't judge us until first game of, you know, training camp. (laughs) But for all I know, maybe he'll pull something off in the next two or three weeks. Um, But uh, I see that... They figure Towns will be around, mm-hmm. um, and I think if they're smart, they should be saying, and Covington will be around his entire contract, but I don't know if uh, they will be that impatient and want to take it down, rip it down to the studs, Towns, and nobody else. Yeah. But I think the way they're talking about playing their whole identity thing essentially is pegged on towns at both ends of the court. Um, I'm not sure, and you and I both tried to get this answer, and we can't get this answer. Is switch everything one through four or one through five? Mm-hmm. Have you gotten a clear answer on that? I have not. I Clear, no, but my assumption is that it's not going to be one through five at all. I mean, I would, I would bet. I mean, that's... Right. That's taken. I That's, mean, you were that that Vanderpool. You were there when Vanderpool right. talked, right? I mean, what he said. He said, "We're going to do what's best for the team." Right. And and I really think, and it's what makes the Vanderpool hiring curious is is the way that they use Nurkic. That they use Nurkic, and that made sense. It was what was best for Portland, right? right. Because Nurkic wasn't fleet of foot He's enough. Two hundred ninety-five pounds, <laughs> exactly. Right. And and it worked to, to you know to some degree, given their you know their personnel and. Um, I, I just think they're going to still, the Wolves, this Wolves will lean on that. Even though Cat is a little bit more mobile than Nurkic, he, he doesn't have the same, or thus far he hasn't proven to have the same reading ability, defensive basketball IQ that Nurkic did. And I don't know, that's where the fine line comes in. Is it, is it actually better to just unleash him and let him get out and switch and, and, and go into that? Or do you want him to be in a read and react defense where he's dropping back. That's what Nurkic's job was. And my bias is you're not going to get the next rung or two rungs or three rungs, which is, you know, championship contender. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're not going to get up there unless Towns becomes a much better defender. Mm -hmm. And I think the way Towns becomes a much better defender is when he gets confidence enough that he is part of a defense. I think if you switch one through four and you make Cat, 
you know, we heard Vanderpool say, we, Carl and I have talked. He has happy feet, essentially, is what yeah. he said. You know, yeah. and, uh, cat moves too much was mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, prevailing thing. And when I saw him next to Covington during that glorious period where we all thought, hey, maybe this team will make the playoffs uh, because they were playing at both ends of the court so well because of Covington, um, Covington gave Cat the kind of confidence and the kind of cues and reads mm -hmm. that uh, that's what Cat needs. That's what he had I'm with Garnett when he first joined the team and he played uh, the second best defense of his career. The best defense of his career was with Covington, um, you know, weeks after the trade uh, last year for Butler. And so I would ride. It's another reason why I say stay small with mm -hmm. Covington, you know, screw the the big lineups. Um, let's try to see what we have here in a Covington cat front court on defense that switches regardless. And, you know. And to the Portland example, that's what they did with Nurkic. And then I think it's interesting is Aminu is almost exactly the same size as Covington. And he played basketball reference those numbers that they have at 99 percent at power forward 90, and 96 percent the year before 95. i mean he's a, he was a power forward and yes. he's the essentially the he's an inch taller than covington but right but it's it's that same type of it's a it's a small ball four and you know to to vanterpools or the the team's credit they bought in and they were two years ago when i think that was actually the best portland yes. team they were the they were the sixth best, best defense and then they kind of fell to to league average, and part of that is you know bringing in uh, Cantor for for Nurkic at the end of a whole a whole bunch of things in that in that way. But I I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a mix, I guess, defensively. And there's there's probably some argument for that for some trial and error. Oh, definitely. And I think that because there was no trial under Tibbs, it was just error. And there wasn't a lot of trial under Ryan. I mean, that's no, the thing, you know, we kept on hearing, well, you know, I don't have time to implement things. Mm -hmm. Well, you had time to, you know, throw everybody in the kitchen sink into your rotations. <laughs> I mean, you know, so why not experiment with things that you may use next year? I mean, Lowell Deng isn't around, and he was fabulous. Right. Uh, you know, all these other guys. Ryan proved to be a fairly in, ingenious coach in terms of scrambling rotations and seeing what happened. He got good minutes out of Kata. He got really good minutes out of Deng. He got good minutes out of uh, Tolliver and Deng yeah. together. Um, but none of that translates. And, you know, nobody's a mind reader. Nobody knows what kind of, you know, Pobo was going to be hired. Uh, but my point, I guess, is that uh, if we're going to experiment Let's keep the experiments to the level of sustainable experiments. Let's not say, oh, this worked. Uh, let's try this for two weeks, and then we find mm -hmm. out, oh, wait a minute. That Doesn't was work. just a yeah. total outlier. Then you've wasted two weeks of development. And so— And and that just doesn't strike me as something Rosas would sign off on. Exactly. I think there is going to be—yeah, I don't know. I guess that goes against my trial and error thing. Like, And a big question is how much— well, trial Autonomy. and error within, I think they have like four trials. They don't <laughs> sure. have a dozen. Right, right, right. You know, so in other words, uh, if if this doesn't work, we can do this, mm -hmm. you know, and, and let's see how this works. And obviously it'll be it'll be tweaked on the fly. Um, yeah. There's just abs there's absolutely something to be said about a coach being able to get a player to buy into the importance of defense. And 
And what Ryan didn't have last year was David Vanterpool. And what we do know, I would say, about Vanterpool is he is the type of coach, he has a track record of whatever the scheme is, getting players to buy into the importance of that. And I think that was, I, I've said this before, I mean, I think it stuck out so much to me in that Oklahoma City series last season with Portland versus them and, and how important it was to the five guys on the floor to just recognize we need to do this because right. we, are, we are undermatched in that way. And to me, that's coaching. Yes. And so that, again, and I don't, I keep playing the optimist card here, but maybe there is ad advantages to what Ryan brings in one area that are very deficient in another that in theory, Vanterpool can bring up so as to make this a defense that has less error and, and more effective, effective trials. I think it's just going to be a really int interesting to see how they balance it. Also to see, you know, how how clear is the difference between Ryan versus Vanterpool in the in the hierarchy of things? I mean, they've right. laid it out to be different types of roles, but have we ever seen it in a league where the head coach is barely a rung higher than the associate head coach? Well, I think for a while that was true of Scott Brooks in OKC with Ron Adams. Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, I think it can happen. Uh, when we talk to... Vanterpool, I basically said, what are the, what is your, mm -hmm. what's your blueprint for defense? And he said, well, you know, he didn't talk schemes at all. He said, basically, yeah. um, you have to play hard, first of all. Well, already, you know, you, you put little question marks next to two or three players on the walls. <laughs> you know, because yeah. no, no, Andrew fair. Wiggins doesn't play hard on defense. Mm -hmm. That's just a fact. Yeah. Um, There's more players. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so... And you have to be very cognizant of help defense. Mm -hmm. You have to support your teammates. Mm -hmm. And this is that's what Vanterpool. That's what he Vanterpool said. said. Those, yeah. are, those were those were his two of his big tenants. And I, there not, was three. I'm trying yeah, to remember there was two. a third one because um, he repeated it. Yeah, but essentially, help your teammates play hard. And um, uh, uh, it, was, it was understanding that there were going to be breakdowns. Yeah, but that that is a collaborative effort to handle and. To what that that was the issue with what the with what the previous the, the Thibodeau and Saunders Wolves defensive issues were at the core without schemes it was once that first layer cracks how do we you know cock up those that that issue there and what so frequently happened was as the play went on the the crack widened and all of a sudden it's it's a layup it's a wide open corner three it's this and that and it's that's what I go back to to have. To have this team, whether it's this year or two or three years from now, work defensively, it's about it's about cat understanding the importance of it. That's number one, but also the the connectivity of of the entire group. That's just defense. That's just defense in the NBA, and it's it, it's a hard it's a hard thing to do. It, it's a hard thing to do in basketball. Period. Like to have that synergy of the group, and particularly so with a young group that's unfamiliar with each other. The only thing about what they've added to this roster during the offseason this summer, the one constant, because there isn't any constant otherwise really, is defense. And when I asked Rosas last week, um, 
it looks like you might even be a better defensive team than you will be an offensive team if everything works out. Well, what did he say? And what he basically said, well, we have Carl Anthony Towns on offense, and mm-hmm. so I don't worry about offense. He essentially said, yeah. we got a transitional guy, trans... Transcendent. Transcendent guy, thank yeah. you. Um, you know, Maybe uh, transitional in offense. <laughs> <laughs> but a Harden-like figure, he, he actually used yep. the, 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 the comparison. And so defensively, what we have to do is you know, make sure that we yeah. get enough stops so that Towns can win the game at the other end, <laughs> you know, which is what the Harden had pretty much was the, you know, responsible right. for in Houston. You know, that's why— and, know, and Portland, too. Yeah, exactly. With the exactly. Yeah. Uh, that was actually a point I was going to bring up when you were talking about um, they played so hard on defense. They played hard on defense because they knew Dame might win at the other end. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so that is the great advantage. That's what Brooklyn, which is the reason we keep bringing up Brooklyn is because I mentioned them like yesterday and, and you've mentioned them as a template mm-hmm. you know, organization to some extent of what the Wolves are trying to do. I think it's the, it's the, it's the best line to, to draw. Mm-hmm philosophically, schematically, kind of, but just, they just said, screw it. We're doing this. And um, and I think there's going to be a lot of doing this, the, exactly what, what they did too with the, the multiple ball handlers, the the willingness to have an extensive trial and error of like, right. we're going to bomb threes because we know that's best. Right. And, and it might not work. I mean, they're going to be Brooklyn-y. Right. And, and, the, and the hope is... They're going to go from 20 wins to a team that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving right, wants totally. to join in three years. Um, you know, that is obviously one of the plans. Um, I guess what I would say in terms of defense is if you have Cat engaged mm-hmm. and hopefully in sync with Rocco, um, and then you put Culver and Okogie on the perimeter— if your plan is, hey, let's get great stops and, you know, let Cat deal at the okay. other end, um, then give me Okogi and Culver, assuming, you know, I, I haven't seen enough of Culver, obviously, yeah. to know. If Culver's reputation is legit and he can guard one through four or one through three in this mm-hmm. case, um, then, you know, great. Uh, then you have a situation where uh, you've got the kind of scramble, hard-nosed defense— you know, that you want. And, and you have it up and down the roster, too. With the exception of point guard, which yeah. is, you know, another thing I wrote yesterday is that the, the point guards don't fit this identity. Right. Um, and so they want a big, you know, D'Angelo Russell was 6'5". I don't know what Garland was, but I think he was, yeah, I don't know if he was big. I don't know or, exactly. But I think they want a big, I want, they want a point guard who can switch on to twos and threes at least. And um, that's not Jeff Teague, and that's not Shabazz Napier, and... It probably is this guy Wallace, who's a free agent, six mm-hmm. five. I've been watching a little tape on him, and he's actually a pretty good defender. Yeah, uh, he's, and he's he huge. is six five, but he, he <laughs> his true shooting percentage is you know is really bad, and his assist to turnover ratio. He's not a great court well, vision and he, guy. And just at the end of the day, he might not make the team. <laughs> right. Well, I know, but it that just goes to show how how thin. They are they are at the point guard position, which I, I want to get into that. But I think like, can we can we spin back sure. to to Russell and the just just that off season pursuit? And I, you know we don't need to talk about D'Angelo Russell specifically and they got in a helicopter and all this and that. But the idea of that next summer or at the trade deadline and 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 the season after that and the trade because that's the Kyrie Irving Kevin Durant element of it. 
and I get that sounds that sounds great. And I know where we're aligned is is that was a smart thing to do is to pursue that. And if it didn't work, to go with this pattern. But what I I keep coming back to is how realistic is it that they're ever going to be able to get the the next D'Angelo Russell? And I I don't know. I mean, you you're not Brooklyn. Well, as a city. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's really the – I don't think that was the issue. I, I think that, you know, look, um, the San Antonio, um, Indiana, sure. um, Orlando made the playoffs last year. Um, you know, in a, obviously a weak mm-hmm. system, but it's not like uh, – No, yeah, yeah. You're right. It's not, it's not all about location. The Lakers and the Knicks, for God's sake, you know, my <laughs> schadenfreude on those two teams has always been very high because I, I don't like the arrogance of geography. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in Boston, which is a prestigious city in many quarters and, you know, also a pretty racist, segregated city and also it's got a lot of problems. They're very smart people. I love their sports fans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was one of them and you, you do live and breathe sports and it's a great place. It was a great place to grow up. Um, but there is an Eastern arrogance. Mm-hmm. And in basketball, there's an LA arrogance. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just repelled by by it. I, I, I think that, you know, and the media is even worse than the management, <laughs> you know. So, you know, it's okay. just one of those things where um, that's my little detour. But the point being, I think if you're a smartly run organization, smart players which are increasingly uh, what populates the best players. The best Mm -hmm. players have grown up in an era of really being so much more self-aware about how the game is played than the stars of, you know, when I was growing up. Uh, So I I think they'll be able to recruit people if Cat stays on message. They surround him with the right people. Mm -hmm. If somebody like Culver comes through, if Rocco is happy – I don't expect them to, you know, play well or, or make the playoffs. You know, I, I I would be happy between 30 and 35 wins next year. Um, I think that's the reasonable window unless, you know, come February they decide it's time to go for that draft pick, which right. I think is entirely possible. Yeah. Um, but two or three years down the road, um, at the very least, we have somebody who knows what he's doing. Yeah. No, absolutely. I I, I I believe it. I, I I think it's the I think it's the smart thing to do. I think this D'Angelo Russell thing was a unique situation that yeah. materialized that because of the cat situation because of they uh, just needed to give away a twenty three year. Oh, they were like we're done with this twenty three year old right. who is close. It's a player that many teams would have given the max. I mean, you look at Jamal Murray in Denver and it was no brainer. We're giving him an extension right now. I mean, those type of guys get, get that type of money. You can, I mean, we can talk about marginal productivity and if that would have been the greatest thing ever with Russell, but it just, it just made sense because he was getting pushed out and he was in this scenario where the wolves didn't necessarily need to create all this cat. It made, it made a ton of, it made a ton of sense and it still didn't happen. And it, it could. I mean, it, that something similar could come together. I, you don't know how all the pieces are going to move around. But I think if you look at the actual landscape of under 30-year-old point guards, lead guards in the NBA's one, one and a half, two kind of guys, mm-hmm. it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to find who that next guy is going to be. Because it shifts so quickly, though. But, but okay, 
But here, I'm, here are the guys. Jamal Murray, Kyrie Irving, D'Angelo Russell, Ben Simmons, Devin Booker, CJ McCollum. Those are like the top guys who fit that lead ball handler under 30 years old. And every single one of them is under contract for four or five or six years. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I, I, don't, I don't anticipate that the guy that they get as a point guard will be a cherished piece mm-hmm. somewhere else. I don't think they have that much clout. Also, I don't think um, that's necessarily the way they're going to make it work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure the Nets would have taken Kyrie whole cloth without Durant. Yeah. Because the, he does screw their system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens next year with Kyrie without Durant because Durant's got the Achilles to mend. Um, you know, whether he can, whether Joe Harris gets the looks he was getting, you know, <laughs> yeah. or Spencer Dinwiddie gets the minutes he he wants. Um, so I think that, I think it'll be a Jamal Murray kind of guy. It'll be a, uh, you know, a, a Gary Harris, a Will Barton. You know, Denver's got like seven of those guys, mm-hmm. you know. You know the one I'm thinking about is Karis LeVert. Uh-huh. Well, again, I think that might work, although I'm not sure he has the handle. Maybe he does. Um, You know, I mean, I'm not sure Gary Harris or, you know, maybe Monty Morris is the guy I'm thinking of, you know, Mm -hmm. as a guy who is a point guard. Sure. Or, you know, Shea, uh, you know, know, he's he's perfect Mm -hmm. for what we're talking about if he could extend his range a little bit. But I guess what I'm saying is, and, you know, there's probably going to be folks in college you know, sure. a year from a year ago, right now, did somebody say, you know, that Darius Garland, somebody's mm-hmm. going to get him, and he's going to be something. But but the reason I wouldn't, I don't think that's the guy, the new Darius Garland, is because then that a year from now, that guy's nineteen years old. But I think what we are seeing is um, there are increasingly precocious players out there who come in and make an impact. And I also think that um, you do have to grow this team. I don't think that Carl Anthony Towns mm-hmm. um, is – he's not so much of an athlete that post-30, he's washed. Totally. And so I think you have a window that's decent if you keep the I'm hope engaged. alive. Yeah. yeah. And so – I can see them going out and getting a point guard. I can see them developing a point guard, you know, who is merely good, Mm -hmm. you know, who is signed for, um, you know, Seth Curry money, you know, mid-level money or something, who who turns into something. Um, You know, uh, again, I hearken back to Denver. Who knew a year sure. ago that, uh, you know, Malik Beasley, Monty Morris, you know, I mean, they were counting on Will Barton. They gave him a ton of money and he was He's kind done. of irrelevant, yeah. you know. And so things can happen. But, but those guys, I, I like those guys and those guys are good and I think would help Cat. But doesn't it feel like what they want at the point guard position is a legitimate star? I think they should go for that. And I think that... Um, that's what they want because, well, I've said it a lot. I think uh, uh, what would be a fun template anyway mm-hmm. is three guys who just get after it, two, three, four, and Cat and the one 
go off. Sure. Um, I think that's a really fun system, and I think it's 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 a workable system given their current personnel if you plug in that point guard. Um, but that doesn't mean it has to be that. That's the only way it has to be. I think that you can, you know, build a system where, you know. Contingency plans. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Paul Millsap isn't getting any younger. And so two years from now, what's Denver going to do? I think, you know, there's some inter- you know, they took a flyer on Porter. I'm not a, a fan from what little I've seen. And bowl, bowl, you know, I mean, <laughs> come on. But uh, it's um, – but these guys that have been hired by the Wolves – Rosas was hired. He's a player development guy first and foremost. Yep. The guys he hired, Gupta, is a guy that that is Rumpelstiltskin. He turns flax into gold in terms of uh, what you can do with a salary cap. Um, and these assistants that they have, you know, um, are players, former players who are player-centric but also no-nonsense guys. I've just been very, very impressed with the breadth of hires, sure. uh, the depth remains to be seen because you know they don't have great track records as people in these positions yet, but they're all up and comers. And uh, I think you wrote in your column. Somebody told you that they're shocked that Vanderpool, yeah. you know, isn't being talked about as a head coach right mm-hmm. now, and maybe he is, um, <laughs> you know, in certain corridors. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I, I think that. Uh, there is – I feel better about the front office than I do about the roster right now. Mm-hmm. But the front – But maybe op- both are laying the pieces. The front together. office put together this roster. <laughs> and uh, what they signal to me is 30 wins, 35 wins or 25 wins if we think we can get a really good pick. Um, right. And, that, and that'll be something – to be learned come all-star break or right before that of exactly. you know, where where's the team at and and injuries i mean the whole you know the whole thing but i will tell you you know i mean i look at the west there isn't a bad team in the west i mean everybody talks about memphis memphis is really young but they are not bad what about phoenix phoenix is is my pick as the worst team in the west and even then they're not terrible you know um if but Aiden, neither are the Timberwolves. If I mean, Aiden takes a step, the, the oh, Wolves no, no, have I more, more I, talent than both of those teams. I agree. I actually no, they do not have more talent than Memphis in my view. Why? Because Memphis has John Morant, they have Jaron Jackson, they have Jonas Valanciunas, they got a couple of guys, uh, Brandon Clark. Yeah. I mean, they have a lot of interesting talent there. Andre Iguodala. <laughs> Perhaps. We'll see where he goes. But, okay. And what they get for Iguodala will be talent. I I just think it's a, it's a, I don't know. I think we could go down the Wolves roster and, and, and pair pair it with those guys and say it's more because I mean, Robert, Robert Covington is better than any of those players you just listed. And Kat certainly is. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, but they're also much further along in their careers. And I would say talent wise. Uh, Yeah. I'm just talking about this year. Okay. Yeah. I, oh, okay. This year, I, yeah, I think the Wolves will finish ahead of Memphis and Phoenix, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's a slam dunk. And I also think, by the way, that uh, like six through 11 yes. is incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, Doncic and, and Porzingis, if they can, if, if Porzingis is the old, you know, rim protecting, you know, behemoth that he was in New York before he was hurt, and Doncic is, Throwing lobs and and 
and they're gambling on the perimeter because Porzingis is going to erase everything at the rim, and you got Rick Carlisle pulling the strings. That's a pretty good team all of a sudden. And, and right now they're what, Mike, most optimally the eighth seed? Oh, yeah, most optimally, <laughs> like, I would think. You know, which which no, just speaks to... The, the people who say that New Orleans won't make the playoffs, I think I, you know, if I were a betting man, I might put some some money down on New Orleans because that is going to be a really, really fun team. Well, it certainly be really fun, but there's just seven teams clearly ahead of them. Mm. There is. It's been Denver, Portland, Golden State Utah. is ahead of New Orleans guaranteed. Yes. I, I disagree. But that's where you go back to go back to talent. I mean, they I, somehow New Orleans has way more depth than they do. But we're still talking about Steph Curry. Yes, one of the best players in the NBA. Yes, he is. And we just talked. To, we were just going and off Draymond about Draymond. Is incredible. And, and and I just think, I think at this time of the year, it's easy to discount top end talent. Whereas in the in the playoffs, we go the the team with the top end talent. That's who we're going to move. And it's it is different because it's how how much. You know, pressure do you are you going to put on Steph and Draymond and your, and your top end talent? I said the Lakers would miss the playoffs last year, and people would hit mm-hmm. me with the top end talent idea. I said the Spurs would probably miss the playoffs. I was wrong about that. They were seventh. Now I said the Pelicans would be you know third or fourth, and Memphis would be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm not bragging on myself. What I am saying though is I do think that there is something to be said for teamwork. And timing, Golden State is going to have a letdown. They are going to find it difficult um, to be uh, a 520 winning percentage. That's not going to be fun for them at all. And yeah. um, no, that's 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 and, fair. And, that's and, the and, that's the risk. And so and 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 New Orleans is going to be, hey, Anthony Davis is gone. We got Derek Favors. We got Zion Williamson. You know, we got Drew Holiday. There's no continuity there, though. I will tell you that the defense, they will they will hurt people. You know, <laughs> Tom Thibodeau would crave. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, Lon- I mean, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram brought them. I mean, yeah, it's a, I, I, I can't imagine myself or anyone, you know, speaking of New Orleans derogatory in a derogatory fashion. It's. I can't wait to watch them play, and I think they'll play well. I just think, I think they'll be a top eight team. I know that's a that's a minority opinion, but I think that Favors really knows how to play. I, they're, they're Zion the, is yeah. going to be if Zion gets in shape. People were saying he was the best collegian since LeBron, and I didn't see a lot of college basketball. But every time I turned around, the guy was doing things at two hundred eighty five pounds that shouldn't be done. It was. <laughs> That when I was at that his his summer league debut, I mean that was one of the for me, and I not that I've been covering the league for that long, but sure. that was up there as one of the just as a basketball fan most fun experiences I I had of of just of watching someone do things that I think that's what's most fun for me about basketball is when somebody does things you don't think they can do, and I know people have different um, opinions on Derrick Rose, but I. It right. was similar to that that fifty point game, sure, because it was the same thing. I didn't think Derrick Rose could do that, right? And um, and that, that that's just the kind of the transcendence of all of that. And okay, so you put that guy who's going to make a ton of mistakes next to a Derrick Favors, whose life is to be lived 
to cover up other people's mistakes. That's what Derek Favors no, does. Great roster construction. It's it's it's. I'm just I'm Drew not going to Holiday. You know, next to Lonzo Ball, that's hellacious perimeter defense. If they get their shit together, I mean, it's just. Um, JJ, we haven't even said JJ. Exactly, <laughs> Looking at exactly. It now. Force facing JJ Redick, you know. Josh Hart, solid player. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. We're, we're on a we're on a tangent here, but it, I it, live it, for tangents. <laughs> <laughs> it, it speaks to it, it speaks to the gap, and I think even beyond this season of, you know, uh, the the Wolves need to to find a way to make a massive leap through the, their style of play and through the roster construction and through the way that they're players buy in to exactly. explode their talent because all this isn't going away. Things, all three of those things are absolutely crucial. They all need to be done. Rosas is aware of that. Um, whether or not circumstances or the capabilities. The most impressive thing I have heard from Rosas um, the whole time we've been covering him thus far which is a lot. Doesn't feel like he. Yeah, he's he, he's been pretty. Uh, I, which I like. I like um, the presence. You know, after mm -hmm. the Tibbs Desert. I mean, and 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 Flip was always that way too. Yeah. He would give you you know all kinds of good access. But um, it was just a. It was almost to himself um, after the draft. He said, "NBA front offices, they're all smart." You know, I mean, it's like, and they're not. But he's not even counting the dumb ones. Yeah. He isn't thinking about the dumb ones. He's thinking about, all right, I'm jockeying around with, right. you know, I'm against, like, the 20 that are really smart. Mm -hmm. What are they going to do? And it's, he was speaking as a peer. Mm -hmm. He knows that he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And he knows it's not fake. And he also knows that it isn't yesterday's wisdom. It isn't Thibodeau's wisdom. It isn't Flip's wisdom. Yeah. You know, it is the way the game is going now. He's got that idea. Now, you know, I don't want to kiss his ass too much because we haven't seen enough at all. Um, but the moves he makes, the way he talks, is a little bit too much salesman in it for me in some ways. But I do think the hires he's made, um, that there's legitimate cause to think yeah. that this guy, um, at the very least, the three things you mentioned are guaranteed the things he's thought all kinds of mm -hmm. ways about. And and that's why... And, and, and the roster moves outside of Cat and outside of... They, they, right. they signal logic. Yes. And there was, there is logic to the Russell pursuit. Yes. There's logic to the Garland pursuit. And there's logic to this... Right, the super underwhelming pursuit. Right, because, because like you said in your piece, those the, the five guys they <laughs> they signed are going to cost eleven million total dollars this, this year. year. Right, and and that's which is five six million dollars less than they're going to pay pay Gorgie Jing. <laughs> Seriously, I mean Gorgie Jing for sixteen, and Layman Napier, Bell, Vonley, and uh, Trayvon Graham mm -hmm. for eleven. It's. So which is the value there? Between, you know, the, between those two. Five guys for 11 or a guy who may get eight yeah. minutes a game for 16? Um, I, I'm with you. I do think that Gorgie should play. I do too. You know me. Yeah, I no, mean, yeah. we, we've had Gorgie. But I think I bet you 80% of people listening to this right now are like, hell no, play Jordan Bell. Like, And I, I think he's, 
whether or not he can adjust himself in a way to play with the style that we think they want to play with, that's a that's a fair question mark. But if you just look at the the player himself, he's he's better than Noah Vonley and Jordan Bell and, and almost everything. Well, I mean that's an interesting statement. I won't go that far yet. What 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 is what is Jordan Bell bring outside of defensive versatility? I think defensive versatility is what he does bring, and I think that's important in the current scheme. What you're saying is not necessarily wrong, except quickness, I guess, is one another thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want one word, yeah. I think hopefully Vonley is quicker than Gorgie, and I know Jordan Bell is. Yeah. Um, but all that said, he's a really underrated communicator. Everybody, you talk to anybody on defense, they say, what is the most important thing on defense? They mm -hmm. say communication. In fact, that might have been the third thing in uh, – Vanderpool's uh, oh, yeah. three things, but talking, you know, yeah. being able to communicate. There's a reason why Gorgie and and Cat their defensive numbers are really usually pretty good. Mm -hmm. It's because Gorgie calls out stuff, and Towns needs to have somebody who's vocal and smart. Can't be vocal and dumb, because then if Cat loses confidence in the guy next to him, which I think happened to some extent with Charge. Um, then you're screwed. Because then he starts then he going starts, to instincts. It goes back exactly, to instincts. It goes thing. back to his, his vaunted instincts, which, you know. I, yeah. I, I, I don't, I'm not, I actually, I think you believe in Gorgie more than I do, but I think considering the other options, and I do think that this team is going to have to play, is going to play with two bigs on the floor at, at times, traditional bigs, two of Cat, Bell, Vonley, and Jang. And I, didn't you think, uh, you know, what we heard right after Vonley was signed, that Vonley was the guy? I did, but now I've changed to thinking Lehman's going to start. Ooh, that's yeah, interesting. Was I, I, I know you and John did the rotation thing. What was the, what was the, uh, was, choosing a Kogi? That was so hard. Yeah. That was so <laughs> ridiculous. That was, that was the know, thing. I started I, I, picking it apart. I mean, I'm like, oh, you guys, why did you guys do a Kogi? Or like, it's like, you only have like Lehman at 14. And I was like, no, if I did this, if I did this exercise too, it would. Well, and I will tell you another thing. John is wired. Yeah. You know, John, some of the things that John is looking at minutes-wise isn't things that came into his head by accident, you know? And <laughs> so... Um, yeah, and I guess that's the balance. Is, I mean, what what do we going, think I'm they should going, do? Hey, listen, <laughs> if you think that Culver is not going to play over Okogie, you know, and, and, and or uh, the one that was... It's funny, and this is how we started this this theme of this conversation, Bell Vonley, um, he just said, <laughs> careful, that, that, that I think that Bell will probably get more minutes than Vonley is what I'm saying. Uh, and I, I think that that has to do with the fact that um, he fits the template, the versatility template, and also may have something to do with the fact that um, Vonley didn't want to sign up for any more than a year, which if, but, but if neither you, did Bell. It, well, but Bell, uh, you know, Bell was just Bell was a toss in kind of. Bell was, uh, you know, I, th I think Bell Bell has played for a champion, and not last year, but two years ago was a pretty valuable piece in some respects for mm -hmm. a rookie. Sure, um, Vonley's had to overcome a bad reputation that he earned. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's been a selfish player, and he's been somebody who was really inconsistent in the past. Um, 
And I know he played better for the Knicks than he's played, you know, other places. But, you know, that was, you know, a dumpster fire organization last year. Well, and, and I think he that was the perfect place to play for yourself, and I think he embraced that. Uh-huh. So, Which, again, and, and, and some of the answers, are like, you know, when I said the thing about threes and corner threes, he basically said, I believe in myself and this yeah. is the way it's going to work and so on and so forth. Which, hey, again, we haven't seen any of these guys right. – Sued up for the Minnesota Timberwolves under what they're doing. I mean, we're pulling all this stuff out of our rear ends. Right. It could all be, you know, silly. When with three preseason games in, we'll go, oh, okay, that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's the dog days of soon to be August, and uh, and and we're spitballing here. I do think that what which made the 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 minutes thing that the athletic wanted every. It's really uh, cool. every one it's of their cool rules to do. Yeah. It's cool because it splits up the <laughs> quarter by quarter. I, I like it. Yeah, I, mean, I don't agree I, with it's it. It's so ridiculous, and I mean, you know, it's just. I immediately disassociated myself from it on Twitter almost as soon as it happened because no, it was good. It was a good. It, it, was, it was silly. It was good. It was. It would be. It's very hard to do. Because, very hard to do, and because not all these guys are going to play eighty-two games. It's like, like it's like when you have your. Uh, I hate when pe- people ask me how many minutes the, are they going to play. People do the brackets, for example, in the NCAA, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. If you have your first round guy, you, you think is yeah. going to the quarters or the semis is out in the first round, you're immediately stupid. <laughs> you know, if if one of the guys we think is going to play a lot doesn't play a lot, well, that's a chain reaction. Right. All of a sudden, three other decisions we're basing this guy playing a lot on aren't yeah, happening. Absolutely. And the whole thing looks absurd. And, and that's likely. That's not even what could happen. That's likely right. to happen because we don't know what's going to happen. The, the most control, controlled one, and we, almost, we stopped getting into this, is the point guard is Teague and Napier and and you guys went pretty traditional with it. You're like Teague thirty see, yeah. Napier well, that eighteen. Was, I, I wanted to come on the podcast with you last week because we had an argument that I said <laughs> we need to have this on the air uh, where you think or you thought I don't know if you I still do. believe I, this I still do. Um, that that Teague and Napier will play a lot together or at least you said five hundred minutes. I think you may have backed off on that a little bit, um, but I just don't think they have no depth. And Teague is injury prone, and I don't think they can afford to have Napier on the court while Teague is on the court, knowing that Teague, by all rights, should be on a, a minutes limit. Once he hits thirty, they, the, to- the yeah. clock should be ticking to you know thirty-two, maybe max. Um, and what that means is, you know, we John and I put Teague at thirty-two and Napier at sixteen. Um, now, is it possible? I actually did 3018. Oh, really? Okay. Well, so it goes. Whatever it's. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, that, and that's actually not a bad idea, I guess. Um, but could we have a situation where uh, Culver or, you know, Wiggins, you know, uh, that's is, the is, is your point guard? And Do you, you think so? I can't see it. Well, I, I th- them out there with no point guard, I just can't. Uh, I think they may try for two or three minutes, you know, Ryan yeah. and, and his unconventional lineups. But I, I will tell you that I don't want it to be Wiggins. Um, you know, we haven't talked about Wiggins. And, um, you know, I, I can just, I defend my Napier point? Y- first? Oh, yeah, sure. By all means. Um, the reason I say it is partially just informed by the fact that he did play a lot alongside D'Angelo Russell and Damian Lillard the past two years. And that doesn't make it smart. 
what makes it smart is that it worked in, in both of those situations. Those are different situations than Minnesota, though it ironically is Portland and Brooklyn, which is probably the most similar thing we can we can draw upon to some extent. Stylistically, but not yeah. roster wise. See, this would all make sense if they had a third, a third point guard. guard. Yeah, but I think they might address that at some point of the season. I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's hard to say. That's a huge question mark. The two biggest question marks I have the team, if we really dig into the depth, is what the hell's going on with the at point guard, like beyond Tegan Napier, and what does Vonley end up being? And I know those are kind of deep cuts, but I don't have an answer for either of those. And like you said, it's going to be something we learn early on in the year. Well, I do think that... Uh, the way Vonley shines is as the 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 supertage, as the guy who takes the bigger big Super, in those big lineups. Well, I mean, two supertage meaning that he defends. Taj was not. Taj gave everything. I never want to disparage the effort mm-hmm. that Taj Gibson puts in and his value in the locker room. He's perhaps my favorite player ever to cover. I'm not my favorite player, but I think I think I tweeted Person. last year the best locker room guy yeah. I've seen. You know, and I've been covering the NBA for over 20 years. Were you uh, out, out, like, in other locker rooms, too? I mean, and I don't know. I, don't, actually I don't think know. so. I mean, I just it, it, he's just one of those guys that uh, knows the right thing to say without bullshitting you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's – you it, to be a straight-shooting diplomat is so hard. Right. I mean, night after night, you got idiot media <laughs> people coming to you and – you know, talk about, you know, uh, 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 and you just, I got to think that a third of the time, at least, you just want to say, go away, you <laughs> fool, you know? I always want to keep that in mind when I walk into a locker room, because yeah. that's the way I would feel most of the time. Right. And so, and Taj was always, um, he'd turn bad questions into decent answers. Mm-hmm. And at media day where everybody is tiptoeing around the Butler situation. Yeah. You know, it was, it wasn't the elephant in the room. It was a herd in yeah. the room of just honking things. And everybody was going, oh, you know, well, I don't know. Andrew Wiggins gets in this big fight that involves Stephen Jackson and Andrew Wiggins' brother. And <laughs> Wiggins is trying to pretend he doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> I mean, you know, those are the kinds of things where you just want to walk out of the room. You know, and just go. And Taj said, "Don't waste my time." And Taj, Taj was the only one who said, "Yeah, it was like a punch." Yeah, and Taj said, "You know, I talked to him. I didn't know that was coming, and you know, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and and yeah, it's going to hurt us." And you know, yeah. I mean, just all the straight stuff. up, yeah. And and he said, "You know, but you know, I I, I support Jimmy in terms of what he's doing, but it's not good for our team." And then he also said. We got to rely on who we rely on. He was the only guy that immediately pivoted because Thibodeau certainly wasn't going to do it other than the the most blatant, you know, lip sync as lip service, essentially, was, oh, they're important to us. Taj said, you know, Andrew and Kat can be good players. They can yeah. be the guys that we can now pivot away from Butler on. Sure. And he had, and he did it with sincerity. He did it with, uh, he was just a... It was the right thing to say. It was credible. I mean, Wiggins' praise aside. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was a situation where um, you just, you would admire the fact that he both cared enough about the team mm-hmm. and is smart enough about the situation 
to not give the media a bunch of junk that everybody knew was wrong, mm -hmm. and at the same time, not throw anybody under the bus, and at the same time, offer up a positive spin on something that the team's most uh, dependent players could take home. Um, and that's, he'll, he'll be missed for that reason. When I say Vonley can be a supertage, what I mean is that um, when he has the bigger guy, if it's, let's say it's Andre Drummond or DeAndre Jordan or, you know, whatever, um, he, if Vonley is 7'4 wingspan and 250 pounds, so he's got about 25 pounds on Taj and probably at least four or five inches wingspan. Mm -hmm. And if, if Vonley cares and he's working for a contract and he's getting the minutes, uh, what would be great to see is if he becomes a good complement for Cat, one that Cat grows to trust, and that they become the 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 large ball equivalent of what I see might happen with Covington and Cat. Uh, so I can see how Vonley well, might, gonna work, have to might get, work out that it's way. It's going to have to get run. That that will be his window of 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 relevance. And and what our concern is is that he's, he's too less selfish, concerned with that. Too selfish and also uh, perhaps isn't that good of a defender. We don't know mm -hmm. whether he can be that stopper. I mean, Taj Gibson always in his prime, Taj, Taj Gibson was, you know, a, a four stopper. He mm -hmm. could be somebody, you know, I, I never bought the whole idea. Tibbs would always say he can guard, you know, all five, five positions. No way, you know. I mean, you put Taj Gibson on a two, kiss it goodbye, yeah. you know. So, but, so Vonley, I, I see the path for Vonley. I see the odds of Vonley achieving that path as being low. Um, and when it comes to the point guard situation, I see it as we are just going to hold our breath and see what happens in six months. Mm -hmm. No, you know? I, I think that's, I think that's, that's accurate. Um, I, I think Napier... I'm not trying to like label myself as a, a major believer. I, I believe right. in the contract you have him on. I mean, right. for a massive fraction of what obviously D'Angelo Russell would have costed, or right. what right. more more presciently what Tyus would have cost. And and he's a player who who fits this style we're talking about more than Tyus does. Right. I don't think he's necessarily a better player than Tyus, but in in this in this style, he could approximate a lot of what. Tyus would have done had he came back. He's certainly a better value. Yeah. I think he's 1-8, mm -hmm. and, and, and Tyus will get 8 minimum and perhaps 9-1 or 9-2. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about Tyus getting five times the money yeah. that uh, Napier's getting. Well, that's not as good a value. Well, and, and then when you talk about long-term opportunity cost of it, he's off the books. And I mean, like it's right. Tyus will be on for the future. Unless you thought that Tyus was going to be your starting point guard moving forward, mm -hmm. which— um, I flirted with during his best times because I did think. Well, I think hey, you were kind of flirting with it earlier when you were saying something of like, maybe, maybe they don't get the stud lead ball handler, and one of the contingency plans is finding a Monty Morris or something. I mean, like, in a way, that's Tyus. But give me Monty Morris over Tyus sure. any day of the week, though, for both size and mm -hmm. shooting. It, yeah, in 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 this system, certainly. So, I get that you know. The point guard, the three-point, I mean, the, the, anybody, a casual Wolves fan who doesn't even know that much about personnel can look at this roster and go, who shoots <laughs> from outside and who's the point guard? I mean, Jeff Teague is, 
you know, he's playing for a contract, mm-hmm. but he's making nineteen million dollars this year. And when you're making nineteen, eight doesn't sound nearly as good as when you're making four <laughs> and you get offered eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and I do think the way his body broke down last year was. I, I don't think Jeff Teague was ever jaking it or, you know, ever uh, a malingerer. I think Jeff Teague was was but, digged up a lot. From the start of the year. Yeah. It was like, I mean, right away at the beginning. I mean, I remember asking him about it like early on in the season and it was like the answer and was, he, I'm not 100% and I'm not going to get to 100%. Right. Because and, it needed like surgeries and, and, and those sort of and, things. And I do think that I don't think he's going to be as physically sound as he was his first year here. Mm-hmm. Or as physically sound, obviously, as he was, you know, I mean, Tibbs notoriously said, you know, we got him because he never misses, you know, he missed like 18 games in nine years yeah. or something. So, again, it's... Uh, it's it's a position. It's a it's a really interesting position because it's, it's probably only the personnel that'll be here for a year, yet it, there is this whole year where these guys are going to have to play. And then this system, the point guard's really important to playing fast and hitting those transition threes and all this and that. And I mean, how, how Teague shows a willingness to adjust to that is a huge question mark to me. And Napier isn't going to need to adjust because he's just an absolute gunner. Right. And that, that could go terribly. It I mean, could. that could be super Jamal Crawfordy. <laughs> it, it, it really could. I mean, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think so. I don't think it will, but because he's playing for a contract. He's playing for and a contract. he never had the money that Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford knows he's playing on borrowed time, has been playing on borrowed time sure. for the, you know, God forbid he gets in the league again this year. But, uh, I mean, the last two years, mm-hmm. it's been Bad. it's been tragicomical to see how cool he is at crunch time and how awful, awful he hurts the team almost every other point. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I, I think that Napier will be a, a much smarter player that way. But again, Napier's ceiling, Napier is not a starting point guard in the NBA no, unless absolutely. all of a sudden he makes a huge step. And But when the rest of your team is not very good and right. your wings are all these little scrapping hustlers who don't have jump shots, that's why there's some logic to playing him alongside of but Teague. That's precisely why I, and this may be the crux of why I say I'm more inclined to say square peg in a round hole moving forward than you are. I think they are going to, they're paying Andrew Wiggins a ton of money. Let's talk about Wiggins. And they are going to um, demand that he doesn't shoot long twos anymore. And so, yeah, Ryan, how about that? If he it's misses, no longer a suggestion. If he, if, yes, he, yes, it was. And if he misses, if he makes like twenty-two percent from three-point territory, <laughs> they are not going to sit him. In my opinion, they are going to say, yeah. "Okay, this is what we told you to do. Get better at it." Mm-hmm. And then it's on Wiggins, and maybe by January or February, after he's ironically he shot thirty percent. From two or from mid range last know, season, which is the equivalent of 22% from three. I know, I know. So you have that situation. The point I'm making is unless Okogi and or Culver break out mm-hmm. in terms of offensive efficiency, I think that Wiggins will get a long leash. Um, I think that Lehman uh, needs to show 
that he can defend people. I'm not sure he can. Um, it's it's hard with all the with the, the layman's and the bells and the vonleys. And I, I know you like me. We like to watch the rest of the NBA, but when you're not when you're not an 82 game guy, right? No, I know. know. It's 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 hard. I'm, I'm trying to make my opinions I have on vonley and Bell and layman loose. You know? Exactly. Yeah, I, that's the smart play. Obviously, that um, it's like me talking about collegians. It really is funny. And anytime I no, but, say, but okay, that's different. You I watch a lot any, more, and you watch a lot of. I see a lot other of NBA. Yeah, like, I see a lot of yeah. I see a lot of NBA. Right. I mean, I, I I would say I I watch league pass at least an hour a night, four to five nights a week, and usually popcorn if, machine. If, if the games are good. Then, uh, well, yeah, that's actually, that's the way to actually say it is uh, I do the DVR and then I pick like four or five games I DVR. Or in the morning, the NBA TV run, reruns or League Pass mm-hmm. reruns these games. Um, and so if I'm up at 10 a.m. and I don't have things to write that day, I'll just go from like 10 to 1. It's a great, you know, mm-hmm. in the wintertime, 10 to 1, you have a cup of coffee and like, some toast and sit in the chair <laughs> and watch NBA, you know? <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a morning league. I do it differently than you do. And one, like you, because you can just, you can get through a full NBA game much faster. In well, fact, when well, I, it, a, a couple of years, what happens to me is I start watching playoff games. I, I, I watch the first round in real time because everybody's anticipating and you want to see and you want the mm-hmm. instant takes. But, uh, by the middle of the second round, I'm usually I'm I'm waiting for the morning. Even if I know the outcome for the toast games, I could just zip through. You know, it takes an hour. It right. literally, you know, yeah. as it takes an hour if you if you just push through, and you know, you get rid of free throws, and you get rid of uh, out of bounds plays, mm-hmm. timeouts, ads. You know, I've been doing a lot of that with Vonley recently. Okay, and and, and the the problem with that, <laughs> that he the, for the great Knicks. problem is when you go back to real time. You yeah. go, come on, what's going on here? <laughs> it's true. Stop screwing around. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, we didn't we didn't do Wiggins deep enough. All right. Well, I I remember I, I thought it was weird that you said he's gonna get a long a long leash because you were like I don't think he deserves a long leash. Okay. Yeah. But I think he'll get one. Um I think you're putting twenty seven million dollars into somebody and Everybody by now knows that's a joke. But <laughs> what if you get eight million in value out of them rather yep. than four? Yep. Uh, then you've made a value play. And Wiggins bar has been lowered and lowered and lowered, legitimately so. But that doesn't mean he can he has to be without value. And so if you can't get rid of them, and I assume they tried during the offseason, uh, then for a while you're trying to change his game because his game so clearly needs to be changed at both ends. Put it this way. I think that Wiggins will get a long leash on offense. I think that if Wiggins plays defense the way he has played defense the past two years, um, then it will be, I would like to be in the coaches' meetings when that happens. Right. Because I do think that um, if he hurts the team, 
Well, one of the things Van, Vanderpool, one of his three tenants is you have to help defense. Yeah. Wiggins is in the bottom 15 percentile, 20 percentile in help defense. He, um, it, it's disgracefully slothful the mm-hmm. way he um, doesn't anticipate the problems that other people might be having on defense. Wiggins feels like if I'm good with my man right now, right. either because my man isn't moving or I've got my man locked up or I know what he's doing, that my job is over. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never seen um, – the only times I've seen Andrew Wiggins look really, really good on help defense is when he uses his twitch quickness and sees okay. something at the last minute. Makes and, up for and, it. And, and does it. But I've never seen Wiggins – Anticipate something. I'll, I'll anticipate on anything. Right. And and the same problem, he's got, he's got the same problem with read and react offense. I mean, when I think about read and react offense and Andrew Wiggins, we know what his instinct is. His instinct is, you know, to crab dribble around and shoot, shoot a fadeaway. And so... Um, yeah, I think it's about getting him into... Can you get him into more offensive situations, at least initially that require less read and react. And I think I think that's part of the reason why they want him to play downhill so much more. Right. Be- but it eventually still comes back. You, you <laughs> well, I mean, I'm saying you can get there. If only we can make him play in ways that are yeah. not fitting our system otherwise, he might be okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's what we're yeah. at right now. And so... I mean, I just really think it's going it, to... I know. Because the bar solo, it's going to be a lot better this year. I, I really... I, I believe that. Um is that is that see I have that's not that, that high. It's like, I have you say, that way at least two or three years. Um, not last year, but last year was when then the, the, the hope the is cynicism comes- began to take hold. But I think if you've been burned, and maybe you have the clearer view, maybe you you have not been burned enough by Andrew Wiggins. I was an Andrew Wiggins proponent for two or three years, and I argued what I believe to be fairly eloquently uh, the reasons why Wiggins would get better. For two or three years, um, I would go on Scott Korzenowski's show, who was probably one of the earliest and most ardent Wigan haters for a long time, and engage in these, you know, these uh, pretty strenuous arguments on the radio. Mm-hmm. That now, in hindsight, he kicked my rear on those <laughs> things, and he doesn't know as much about basketball as I do, but he knew yeah. that Andrew Wiggins wasn't as good as I thought he was, and when you get Showing up like that, then you begin to say, all right, what am I missing here? And what I am missing is that Andrew Wiggins doesn't like to play basketball. (laughs) That's what I was missing. And so, uh, and it was pretty obvious once I came to that realization, um, if he's got outside motivation, if it's Ryan Saunders' first game, or if he's in Toronto, or if it's a Friday night in Los Angeles, hey, I want to play. If it's... um, a Wednesday night in OKC that isn't Ryan Saunders' debut? Um, well, maybe because it's OKC, OKC maybe it'll work. <laughs> Charlotte, that's the one I always yeah, say. or whatever. But everybody knows the type of athleticism and raw talent he has and all the little ways you can develop that into something meaningful he has ignored. Mm-hmm. He's in season six. Right. Um, there has never been an NBA player who has put together five years like he's put together 
that suddenly became an all-star. Totally. Even the DeMar DeRozan comps, mm-hmm. which were like the, the last refuge of the Wiggins lovers, <laughs> that's, even that's gone now. So, you know. No, and I, I'm certainly not arguing that or anticipating that. I think it's this season he's going to want to play more because the – not a ton, but like because the circumstances are different, I think I, – I know we've been saying it's another year. I think he's another year older. I, I honestly think and just as a person his life has changed a lot. But I'm not sure it's changed in a good way. I think he, he – he's – I think he's a really good dad from what I can see just casually watching yeah. the way he deals with his wife and his kid, yeah. you know, at the game, before the games, up in the stands, looking sure. at them and everything. Um, that's but maybe more of a distraction. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I, no, I, I, I don't I, my, my My argument at the end of the day is the bar and the, the play and the, the production was so impossibly low mm-hmm. last season that – a slightly better infrastructure is going to raise that sum where it's I agree and 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 just a better shot mix too. I think those things but can he care on defense enough I, to no, be a I good defender? Can he read no. and react with the kind of instincts? No, he he but he cannot do those things and still be a better player. Yes, he can stop shooting long twos. Mm-hmm. And he can get out on the break and finish, which mm-hmm. we know he can do because that's fun. Yeah. You know, and so, um, you know, I, and and he may be able to bulk up a little, which I think is another yeah. huge problem for him. Totally. I mean, if he gets stronger. Strength, height of handle, I think are yep. are, are really big. Exactly. If he him. can keep the ball low on his dribble, at least enough not to get stripped all the time, and he can have a system where um, – where he's applauded if he gets the rebound and streaks down the court and finishes, mm-hmm. um, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, it's no, certainly that's better all than, the, the request know, is, yeah, I think, yeah, at this yeah. point. And, and so, yeah, I, I, but who have been the Wolves' top draft pick last two seasons? They've been people who should be taking Wiggins' job. Mm-hmm. I mean, Okogie and Culver are guys yeah. who are the anti-Wiggins. They are guys who are not super talented and not super athletic, but they bring every drop. I mean, again, I'm talking about Culver without knowing anything yeah. other than what everybody has said about him from college. But the rip is, and and what Kogi's reality is, you know, Joshua Kogi can't shoot, still can't shoot. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of fundamental. Um, so he's not somebody who is the be-all, end-all. But for a guy picked 20th overall for certain things that he does well, he did those things well and then some because he really, you know, he's one of those guys. He's Mm -hmm. one of those guys that has, I think he's the only Timberwolf that's been here the entire time. I mean, he he goes to all the events. He goes to, you know, Podunkville to, you know, talk to the Wolves fans in the middle of winter. I mean, in the middle of summer. Um, No, I've, I've seen him. I've seen him around a, a bunch. I mean, he was in with that young group of, who, I mean, are now departed in Cam Reynolds and right. Jerry Terrell and Kato was here too. But I mean, that was kind of the group. And yeah, no, I, he, I think Josh is doing all the, has done all, all the right things and suggests that he's moving in a way that he could pass up. And I think Culver will, I mean, just from what you yeah. hear about Culver and the two times I've interviewed him, mm-hmm. um, he's all about winning. He's yeah. all about being coachable. Um, 
and he's willing to be flexible. He's willing to sacrifice for the team. These are your two guys. Um, if they both flourish, yeah. you don't need Andrew Wiggins. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's not a coincidence, I don't think. He's the, he maybe more so Culver than Akogi. The, the the parallel I've drawn is he's Culver is their Capella, and and the not the star, but the guy that with proper player development, you tap into something that makes them an excellent supplemental player to your two stars. Right. They don't have their two stars right, right. now, but their cat and whoever the next right. D'Angelo Russell is. I mean, that's, I think that's, you know, what Culver is in an optimal world. And if that happens, that makes Andrew Wiggins irrelevant. Right. And so we don't know enough about Rosas yet. Mm-hmm. We don't know when Rosas is snowing us and when he's telling the truth. Yeah. Uh, the sincerity with which he praises Culver, particularly he and Ryan in terms of Culver's ball handling and playmaking, um, that's going to be a kind of a credibility test for me as I watch Culver. Is Culver going to be the playmaker they claim he is? Because if he is, yeah. then that really does help your point guard situation. Um, I think... You know, I'm a I'm a longtime Timberwolves media person. I'm cynical. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I think that there's a pretty good chance that Culver um, doesn't have NBA handle enough to be a playmaker in this league. At least not to the extent that they. It's hard. <laughs> not to be. He's not going to be some kind of demi point guard. So, but if he is, great pick. Glad right. we moved up. And, and even if he is, if the guy is a hound, and and he can finish at the rim. And he works off Cat, and he he defends, and he Kogi, Okogi, and uh, Roko, you know, if two or three of them are on the floor at the same time, and they establish an identity as as a team that switches, but not only switches, but like Prigioni says, you can switch as a lazy man's game, or you can switch as With an purpose, atta- yeah. as an attack. Right. You know, Okogi is an attacking defender. Mm-hmm. It's the best thing about him. I mean. I only wish that once he finally, once he steals the ball from somebody, he'd give it to somebody else so he can score. <laughs> That's true. Um, is there, do we miss anything on the, Beats on the Wolves You're front? the one with the bullets. I am the ones with the bullets. <laughs> Too many bullets. I, I don't know. I, I think we um, smartly. There's always next time. There's always next time. We, we smartly brushed over Culver, Noel, and Reed because I, neither of us have watched I don't think Nas Reed, Nas Reed is his summer League phenomenal. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, That's the best possible contract you could sign an NBA player to. I'll say that. Yes. It's, and it's Kata's contract, right? No, it's even better. It's it's the minimum, minimum, minimum this year. Like the least you can pay a player. Non guarantee. Non guarantee at the minimum the next three but years after that. There is the idea that you know he was a he was a multi year signing, you know, and which is to some extent true. But it's like a football contract, is what you're saying. No, he is on a football contract, yeah. a four year football contract. Yeah. Kata has only one year of football contract in his, okay. which is his the third year for him. All that said, you know. God forbid I try to take optimism away from people. I mean, I see it on Twitter and there's all these, no, uh, yeah. these you know, the guy is a huge man who hits threes and makes pinpoint passes from the high post. Most baits. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm serious. That's my comp right now. It is. Um, the, the one thing not really Wolves related, and I just thought, I don't know, you work for the athletic and I, I know you're not one to want to, wave a flag around in a, in a massive right. way. But it, it is interesting to me as someone who's also interested in the basketball journalism and journalism at large. And just 
I guess kind of just your perspective on this is big 500,000 subscriber threshold that kind of has people talking about it that you guys have hit and just where you've, I don't know where you've seen about it. No, no, no. Well, where <laughs> I'm, I might, that's why I'm not asking okay. you to do that, right. but you do have 500,000 subscribers. Excellent. <laughs> but what is, what is, um, what did you feel about, you know, kind of where the athletic is, is taking sports journalism? I know you love working for them. I do. Uh, again, my whole deal, you know, I'm 66 years old. And so... Are you actually 66? Because last time you said you were 66. No, but you I, just I, did it because... Dude, the, it was before June 6th. Then. I'm, <laughs> I was 66 on 6-6. Six, six. <laughs> okay. uh, and so my whole deal is let me do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, And uh, they do that. Independence, far more important than money. And so I'm getting a laughable sum of money. I would imagine if somebody thinks I work for the athletic, I must be making a ton of money. I don't. I make, uh, you know, a few pounds of money. And right. so... Um, freelance. You do it freelance. I, I'm, I'm a freelancer strictly. Uh, you know, I mean, I think it, 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 there would be eyebrows raised if I, you know, started writing about basketball for City Pages or something. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm freelance, but um, yeah. it's kind of a... Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not a free relationship, but it is a relationship where I write about what I want to write about when I want to write about it, mm-hmm. and it goes up on the site relatively quickly after I submit it. Mm-hmm. And I have a fabulous editor. They have been really, really consistent in terms of um, delivering on what I need out of them. Um, they gave me a bump and pay unilaterally at the beginning of last year that I didn't ask for. Uh, and so um, I have no complaints about them. Um but you're well, also a consumer of the athletic too, and yeah. maybe that's more. Oh, yeah, of an no, no, no. I mean, yeah, guys like uh, you know David Aldridge and Ethan Sherwin Strauss. I mean, uh, Zach Harper. I do like their you know their national guys. Uh, they slot in. I really like you know guys like Eric Kareen mm-hmm. uh, in Toronto, and you know there's Toronto just, and Golden State both did a really good job all through the the playoffs. I thought yeah. I really enjoyed reading. Yeah, those I mean, guys. I they know what they're doing, uh, and. Um, there's, there's an editor, a, a friend of mine, Mark Wolman, who uh, used to work for the Strib, uh, who edits now, uh, is editing hockey, and now his, his wife got a job in, in, in a very small town in Louisiana. He's going to be editing hockey from a, a small town in Louisiana. Um, but he loves it, and he's, he's a much more of a careerist than I am. Sure. Um, and John, I think, is happy. Um, we could travel on their dime a lot more than we have. I don't travel at all. John doesn't travel very much. But um, I do get the impression that, well, first of all, the respect of my peers and my smart readers is, you know, I mean, it sounds corny, but th- that's a big part of my gratification system mm-hmm. is is having smart people think I'm smart is important to me. Right. Um, as important as what I get paid. Having smart people work for the same publication I work for is ego affirming. Mm-hmm. And so those are all the reasons I like it. You know, when the head of the athletics said he wanted to put newspapers out of business, I was glad I was a freelancer so I could say it was effed up mm-hmm. and that the guy is a jerk because he is. And, you know, so. Yeah. And I need to be able to say that when I feel like it. Otherwise. Sure. What's the point? Otherwise, I might as well take the bucks. 
So, which is all to say that basketball journalism has never been better. Yeah, um, totally. Uh, the number of really good basketball writers used to be, you know, I grew up reading Bob Ryan on the Boston Globe, and he was great. Um, and I, I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to write about sports is the Boston Globe sports section, which I grew up reading. Um, but you don't see, um, back then you didn't see the depth, you know. I mean, every now and then you'd stumble across a, a Ralph Wiley or somebody or, you know, uh, you know, a, a great well, beat writer. But now they're everywhere. It's everywhere. There's so many. We, good we talk about this all the time. It's like, hey, who are you, like, who are you reading? I don't feel like I'm. I mean, Zach yeah. Lowe is fabulous. Mm-hmm. I, I will forever say. Well, I mean, ever since he got really, really good, um, I'd say for the last five or six years, um, there isn't anybody who knows the salary cap, is wired with, you know, various personnel around the league and can break down the X's and O's of a game. Mm-hmm. do all three at an A level. I right. mean, that, that's a great writer. And so there are guys like that. And so, and there there are there are people, maybe not on Zach Lowe's level, but there are a lot of guys at that A minus level that, mm-hmm. are, that are a joy to read. Yeah, and it's just, it, I mean, I, I, for me, I, for me, my like love of basketball has grown from, you know, being a, a kid who played basketball to, you know, kind of then you're not, you know, you're not, playing basketball anymore and you're, I was just watching a lot of it. And I, I think then kind of in my adulthood is it's been, it's been such a cool way just as a consumer, you know, to, to supplement like that love of the game and to still think about it in the way that you, you thought about it when you were playing. And I think what's so cool about basketball journalism specifically is, is that just seems to be so much of the ethos of, so many of the writers right. out there today. And it's, it's what makes me want to be a writer and to, to be like that and to you know, give that to other people. And, and just, it, it's, it's odd and it's cool with the internet, how we can, I don't know, we can, we can get so much exposure to that. And, and really maybe it's more so social media and Twitter and like all of that together. But I think it's really made, it's a part of why the NBA is flourishing in the way it is. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's no I, selfish in in my my perspective. But I think the NBA is growing because there's people who are making it grow. They understand. At least most franchises, I think, understand. Um, for the longest time, the quote unquote blog people were not allowed to be, you know, at mm-hmm. the the table at games at the media row or whatever. Um, that's clearly changed, um, and I I think that. The respect, I, I get the impression, you know, the Timberwolves, the Timberwolves have always respected me, um, even though I've, I've never worked for one of the traditional outlets, sure. the major outlets. Um, I, I pride myself on being very low maintenance. I don't want to, I don't ask the media people for much. Mm-hmm. I just want, you know, I want access, you know, to what I can get access to. I don't expect to uh, be able to, have a pipeline to a coach. Well, first of all, I'm not, I, I understand that I'm not willing to trade a lot of the things you have to trade in order to get access. Mm-hmm. I don't want the wink and the nod relationship um, because it would complicate my life too much. Um, but I admire the people, right. I mean, to some extent, I admire the people who do that. Um, so uh, I guess where I was going is that 
I do think that if you go into a football locker room, you know, as I, I've, I've written about all the major team sports at various times for, you know, different publications as a freelance writer. And the times when I was covering the, the Vikings, it was, it was a, a laughable, it was a, the, you know, it, it was meant to be lampooned. There, yeah. You know, there, there, are, there are a bunch of Neanderthals <laughs> in, in, you know, the smart football player, the percentage of smart football players, you, playing football discourages intelligence, in my view, <laughs> you know, versus basketball, which I do think, you know, again, you know, it's my bias. It's the greatest game because it's, it's a team game and an individual game in perfect proportion. Right. Um, you need to be really good individually. You need to be really good as a team. You play offense and defense. It flows organically. It's the best athletes in the world in terms of brute strength and razor sharp quickness and spring ability and all the other things where you, you have to use your entire body. Um, you know, I just think it's a wonderful game. And so um, to see so many people write about it so well and to see the analytics uh, teach me about the game, all these things that when I was growing up watching basketball, I had no idea. Um, it's just opened doors in my perception of the game uh, without closing doors in terms of, I know that the eye test is valuable. I know gut instincts are valuable. Um, but I also know that the numbers are at least as valuable, if not more valuable, and that all should be in the mix. Mm -hmm. And I read guys and occasionally women, less than there should be probably, who um, who deliver that, right. who deliver that whole spectrum. And so it's a great time to be reading about basketball and watching basketball. I think that's a good note to end on. And um, to, to read Britt, obviously, you can subscribe to The Athletic and follow his and John and a whole, I think they said they like have 277 teams or something covered <laughs> uh, across all of the major professional and college and what is sports. it? Is it $5 a month still or is it more or less? Uh, it's, it's got the two ninety nine deals. All right. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's not. It's my pitch. Two ninety nine. dollars <laughs> uh, That's Britt uh, at Britt Robson on Twitter. I'm Dane Moore. Um, I guess programming note for this podcast is it is the doldrums of summer. We're going to take the, the next couple of weeks off provided – they don't randomly <laughs> trade for Bradley Beal or uh, trade Andrew Wiggins or something crazy. Um, but it, it, it'll be summertime. I guess this kind of wraps up the whole, the whole season and the off season. So thank you for uh, listening to us here at zone coverage and this podcast. It's been cool to see it, uh, see it grow. And I mean, we'll be back shortly because the, there's not a long off season in, no. in this world anymore. So thank you for that. And uh, we'll be back whenever it is. We're back. Till then, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.